And today, let's go open our Bibles, and we, we told you that ultimately uh, our responsibility is to worship and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we've been there today. We've had a time of meditation, a time of singing. And now from the Word of God, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and, and uh, we want to encourage you, open up the Word of God because you'll learn something. As we go through, we even learn our spiritual gifts. Did you know that when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you and I are going to learn that this is where we have a list of spiritual gifts going, ah, we have these gifts in the church at Corinth, but it seems like it's such a divided church. Why does the world always seem to infiltrate the church? Why is it there? Why is it getting in, in the place? Because we sometimes forget where we come from, do we not? We come from the world. We are people and product of our mothers and fathers, and, and we know when every mother gives birth, she gives birth to what? A cute little baby sinner. And every sinner, obviously, has to grow up and come to the place of, of recognition of that they need the Lord Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. So let me encourage you today, even though we look at this church at Corinth and what a dysfunctional church. What we're really looking at is the Town Creek Baptist Church. Did you know that today? Uh, tomorrow we're going to gather with the South Carolina Baptist Convention tomorrow and Friday, I mean on Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday. And guess what we're going to get together with? A bunch of dysfunctional preachers representing a bunch of dysfunctional Baptists, right? And what we're going to do, we're going to vote on things, talk about things that affect us in the state. And then in the June, guess what we'll do? We'll meet in um, Indianapolis, and there'll be a bunch of dysfunctional people getting together to talk about dysfunctional things in the Southern Baptist Convention, and we'll come out on the other side agreeing to disagree without being disagreeable. Most of us, some people will dis be disagreeable. But the bottom line is we do things together before the cause of Christ. We're sharing our faith over and over. We're getting out there and, if you will, soldiers of the cross Talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Knowing that we're broken. Knowing that daily, Paul says, this, your flesh, that's who you are, wars against the Spirit of God. There is a continuous war going on in your personal lives. And what you do is you bring those personal wars, because you bring your person here, you bring group together. When you have people having individual wars, look around. Even when the children are out, and the children this morning are, by the way, in kids' worship. If you, if you need any children here, I didn't look around. Anybody fifth grade and below there in kids' worship, we can have you out in the Fellowship Cafe, and they'll be there. They're doing like a vacation Bible school on the second and fourth Sunday. They're, they're in a large group setting and small group. So we encourage you, uh, remind families of that. First and third, we're here together for the Lord's Supper. But second and fourth, they'll, they'll be in having some, uh, like a vacation Bible school weekend. And so they're available for that if, if, that's, if there's children here. We're going to read together, and Paul's writing to the church. He's already corrected the dysfunction of immorality in the church. He, he's already addressed issues in the church that, that deal with uh, arguing over who's the best preacher that's visited the church or been around the church. Uh, the church is divided and taken sides. Uh, there's a lot of things going on in the church and, and, and even re issues of money. And we think about today, when is the biggest time of church fights in the year? Do y'all know when it is? Yeah, budget season when we're going to find out who's in electing officers. Who controls the money and who's going to control the authority? And y'all know what that's from, don't you? It's because the American church especially has been incorporated. So if you want to get our official name, we have the new members class today, our, our Discover Town Creek, you'll see in front of your bulletin. If you come, you'll find out we're actually Town Creek Baptist Church Incorporated. Did y'all know that? And whatever church that you go to, if you're a Baptist church, especially in South Carolina, you're a part of a corporation, a nonprofit corporation. Everyone wants to run the corporation. No one wants to do the work of the church. Not one person has ever argued with me in 14 years saying, Pastor, we're so angry you won't let us go to the north side where the murder rate's the highest in Aiken and let us share our faith. No one has ever said that to me. Can you imagine that? 
the pastor at Town Creek won't let me. The deacons at Town Creek won't let me go share my faith in the worst neighborhood in Aiken. You ever hear that conversation in any church you've been a part of? That's the New Testament church. That's the Acts chapter 2 church is to go out and share your, your gospel faith with those who are in need, those who are lost. Everyone wants to fight over the money. Not everyone, but in, in churches I grew up in, everybody wants to control the money. Everyone wants to have a say-so. And we rightly should understand where the resources are going, wouldn't we, of a church? If we know that the resources are going to actually to benefit the, the kingdom of God, we say amen. But if it's going to actually benefit someone uh, personally, we say oh me, right? We need to address that. And so we're transparent. Derek's announced, I think, even in the bulletin. I didn't look fully, but there's a couple meetings come up for our administrative meeting that's coming for the budget. And we've had those discussions every year, and they're getting fewer and fewer people attend, and we want you to know. But the good thing about us, you don't have to wait until one or two times a year. You can go any day of the year and go have a sit-down with Derek because we're so transparent. You can ask him questions. And if you're a member, you have access to all those answers. If you're not a member, you don't have access, just for the record. We don't answer to the general public. Uh, we answer to our members because we are the body of Christ gathered at 250 Town Creek Road. All right, so you can answer any questions. How many rolls of toilet paper do we buy annually? Uh, when do we wash the blankets? And how much money is spent on the blankets? Who volunteers? Ask any of those questions. You're welcome to get those, those answers. So we're transparent. This is what Paul is talking to the church, saying, listen, there's some things about the church you need to understand. And Paul was, knew he was laying the groundwork. He'd been trained, if you will, directly by Jesus Christ. Jesus knocked him off his high horse there in Acts chapter 9. Uh, he had been called to the ministry. He was called to suffer for Christ. He was run, if you will, out into the desert for three years. He spent three years in the desert. This is a very educated man, a very uh, uh, a theologian of the Old Testament, a uh, philosopher of sorts, but he was trained by God uh, to preach the message. He'd, he'd given his young uh, part of his life to, to train as a Jewish scholar, as a Pharisee, as a member of the Sanhedrin, and now when he's saved, he's been born again, he's given his life over to actually preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look and see the word of God. First Corinthians chapter 9, are you there? Say amen. Paul asked, and I got it recorded in your notes, he asked some 19 rhetorical questions. That's the second line in your notes. 19 rhetorical questions that I counted. What's this? Am I not an apostle? Yes or no? So when I ask a question, if, I, if it ends in a question mark, would you answer it yes or no? Okay? We have a disagreement, we'll get to that disagreement. So Paul says, am I not an apostle? Yes. Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? You say, well, I'm not sure about that. Go to Acts chapter 9. You'll see there's that encounter recorded. Are you not my work of the Lord? The church at Corinth. Yes. If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Meaning, Paul planted this church there in Corinth. He says, my defense to those who examine me is this. There's somebody questioning the authority of Paul's apostleship in the church. Could you imagine? Now, what did the apostle have authority to do? The apostle was the New Testament version, if you will, of the Old Testament prophet. They had supernatural powers. Paul, even we know, a young man fell out of a third-story building and died because Paul preached too long, right? Paul had to be a Baptist. He preached too long. And Paul runs downstairs. He lays over top of the young man, prays. And the young man comes back to life. He didn't just pass out. He was dead. He had the power to resurrect the dead. He, he could call down, if you will, uh, fire from heaven if that was necessary. So he's an apostle. There was a select small group of these men called, and men were called, not women, no women apostles, 
There were men called for a specific time to launch the church of God to the world. That was their job. They had a responsibility to preach, to show the miracles of God. It's called attesting miracles. Do you have something to go along with that statement? He said, yes, I do. And the apostle could show you the power of God, not just preach the, the word of God. Because the Bible had not been completed, so these men were sent out in the name of Jesus Christ with the authority of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so Paul transitions. Uh, my defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? The answer is, that's not just the, what we talked about last week, Christian liberty to eat food that he can get from the idol market. This is make a living. Do I not have a right to actually have income from the churches that I started so I can continue the missionary journeys? The answer is yes. Verse 5, do we have no right to take along a believing wife? Or your Bible might say sister. And I'll tell you, these are like the secretaries that he would carry along. As do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, that's Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense. The question is, who does? Which of those soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines we just showed that we respected, which of those do it voluntarily without pay? They do it voluntarily, yes, they volunteer. But who does it without pay? Well, everyone knows they have to sustain. When there's soldiers today and, and sailors deployed today, the government has to send them a paycheck so they can actually supply for their family back home. So Paul says, don't you understand that even the soldier receives pay for what he does? He continues, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? The answer is no one. The farmer, is gonna, he needs to eat from his food. Or who tends a flock and does not drink the milk of the flock? The answer is no one. Verse 8, do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, this goes all the way back to Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it the oxen God is concerned about? The answer is no, he's given us the truth. God is concerned about the oxen, but what would do if you take the muzzle off the ox while he's going in a circle all day grinding the grain? What's going to happen? going to stop and going to eat a little bit and keep working, right? Have you ever been so hungry you just stop for lunch going, man, I'm famished. I just, I just need some fuel. And you pop in, and even we have commercials about it today. All right, we talk about people being what? McKenzie's probably the best one. You know, McKenzie, when she works hard, she gets hangry, right? She's hungry and angry at the same time. And when, then when food shows up, guess what she starts doing? She starts singing. Mike's been around her. She sings. She gets really happy, and when she smells food ready to eat, she's going to sing and and then she celebrates, and she's ready to say the blessing. She's the best person to ask to say the blessing when she's hungry because she'll just thank God about everything. She'll even start preaching while she's praying, and she's ready to eat. So that's, that's we, today we have commercials, Snickers. Have y'all seen Snicker candy bar commercials? The person's so hungry uh, that they actually get into a, another persona. Uh, we, we understand this concept, and Paul said, listen, don't muzzle the oxen. God said so, so that they could eat and keep working. He's saying, listen, we're going to keep working on these missionary journeys, but the supply has to come from God, and where is all of God's supply? He said, my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. Where is his riches and glory? I said it a few weeks ago. His riches are where? In your britches. That's right. His riches are in your britches, are in your purse. That's where God's supply lives, and he gives it to us, those who might be in all kinds of different professions, so that the gospel might go forth. The church has become, especially this Gen Z, ages 11 to 26, 
New reports showing they're the stingiest generation that has ever come around. No one's modeled for them how to give. When you talk about a tithe, it's a foreign subject. And even today, preachers that stand up say, the tithe is not biblical. Where do we learn about the tithe? In the Bible. So therefore, if we learn about it from the Bible, what does it make it? Biblical by nature of where it's found. And we go back and study and say, oh, every time God gave success, men who are righteous gave back to God in abundance. Did they not? They gave back in all kinds of first fruits, the Bible says. It gave back a lot of different ways. And today, when God blesses us, what do we do? Oh, times might get bad. I'm going to stuff it over here. I told you about the man last week who buried his money in the, in the ground, and it turned to mush. And I heard of a man on the Christian radio station that put his man, all his money in a safe deposit box. It was overseas, and he just would not share any money with anyone, stuffed all of his currency in a safety deposit box, the bank had issues with termites, and when he went to get his money to check on it, guess what had happened? They had, it, the money had been eaten. So, not federally insured, I don't guess, overseas. Let's continue. Paul is going to be very clear as he speaks. You shall not muzzle the ox, an ox, while it treads out the grain. Is the oxen, is God, is, is the oxen God is concerned about? The answer is no. God was telling about the oxen. He cares about them, but he was forecasting here into the future about people who spread the gospel, our missionaries that we support together, Southern Baptists, our pastors who we, we support locally, those are vocationally called. Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written that he who plows should plow how? In hope, when you put tomato seeds down, what are you planting for? Tomatoes, you just don't want the plants, right? You ever had a plant not produce? You want something to put on the table and slice and make a BLT or whatever you want to put in your house, right? You want those tomatoes for soup? You're planting in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be partakers of this hope. Verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things to you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Meaning, if I've shared and told you how to get to heaven, is it wrong for me to ask that you would actually give me resources back so that I can continue? Remember, he's an apostle. He's asking because he travels a lot. Paul travels Europe, Asia, and down to if you will, the coast of the Mediterranean. Verse 12, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. He's like, I'm not taking a salary. Y'all haven't given me anything. I preach and I do a side job. Paul was, if you will, he was bivocational. He worked and he also preached. But while he was working, he preached. See it? Let's continue. And later he's going to ask for resources. He's going to tell them, hey, let's supply. The church at Philippi, he blesses them for you guys worked and you're a small church, but you gave me resources because you wanted to hear the gospel preached and you knew I would preach the gospel be faithful. Verse 14, even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. That's a preacher should receive his salary. Now, the preachers, just for the record, are compared to oxen. Did you know that? So the preacher and the cow has something in common, right? Now, we should work hard. And there should be enough sustenance for us to actually live and supply for family. That's it. But today, we, what have we been ruined by? We've been ruined by preachers who, ha, who require uh, excellent salaries. They require excellent cars and excellent homes. And we look online, and if you even do a Google search, the 20 worst Christians, it'll be 20 evangelists, televangelists that have super long nails or super expensive, if you will, jets, private jets. They have all these things, and they have tried to use the resources of God's kingdom for their personal glory. They're self-centered versus for God-centered. So this is what Paul's saying. Listen, a preacher should never, if someone gets rich for being in the gospel ministry, 
something's wrong with their gospel ministry. It's a different gospel. You say, well, Pastor, do you not want money? The answer is, I want to make a living. I want to supply. In Town Creek, let me just tell you, from day one, when I first got here, I worked for two weeks, and, and they said, what is your salary requirement? And I said, whatever the church pays. That's it. We just come. We come from a very large church. We knew that there's no way to even match the salary we had, and we were on staff. And I said, whatever the church pays. We didn't even discuss it. It was off the table. So I get here and work for two weeks, and Wendy calls me and while I'm at work, and she says, honey, uh, we still have a house. We didn't sell it. You know, everybody has this story. When we, God called us, we, we, our house sold, like, before we even put it on the market. That was not our story at all. We came in fighting, right? We came. It took five years to sell our house. We made mortgage payments for somewhere we didn't live. We had missionaries live in our house. We had friends not live in our house. Uh, it was, Lord, are you sure this is what you called us to do? And it was the affirming yes. And so I worked for two weeks, and we just like, hey, the, uh, just for the record, I made the house payment out of savings. I was like, oh, for what? Why did you do that? Because I usually do direct deposit. Why did you do that? She says, because we don't have any information if Town Creek's going to provide a salary for us. And you haven't told me what it is, and there's no money going in the bank, so the money we do have, I'm making the payments. So I called the chairman of the search committee and said, hey, <laughs> we took this off the table to talk about, but I still need to talk about it now that I'm here. I'm sitting in my office, and I said, is there a salary to get paid at the church, I need to know because if not, you don't get a full-time preacher uh, for no pay, right? I've got to go get a job to supply for what? For my family. My fam- I had a family of five. I, have, I need to supply for my family. And so let me know if there's, if there's not a salary, that's okay. But you don't get a full-time pastor because i got to go get another job and be bivocational, which I was fine with. And he goes, no, 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 there is a salary. There's a salary. And the people who were in charge of the salary back then didn't want to share the salary because they didn't want me as their pastor. They were ones that voted no against me. And um, so, it, long story short, it happened and worked out that, that God worked things out. We've come a long way since then. But when I read this, and saying the pastor. Obviously, when you read that passage, and this is for any church start, any church plant, any pastor who's out there struggling through, it's not wrong to be bivocational, but you should learn verse 14 because Paul was unashamed to say this to the church, and I'm unashamed to read it to the church. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Amen? Just like the oxen, though, keep comparing them back to the ox. Feed them. They should work hard. If a preacher is lazy, he should be fired. If a preacher wants a lot of money, he should be fired. He should go get a job in the secular world. Amen? You cannot crave money and God. Jesus said you won't have two masters. You're going to love one or hate the other. So we must be very clear. Verse 15, but I have used none of these things. I've used none of the resources, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than anyone should be make my boasting void. Paul said, I boast in Jesus Christ alone. My supply comes from him is what he's saying. Verse 16, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Verse 17. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. He has a responsibility to the gospel. I have this underlined then. Verse 18. What is my reward then? Then when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. He had rights, he had privileges, but he did not want to abuse his authority. Because who did he depend fully on anyway? 
the Lord Jesus Christ. He depended on God for his supply. Because that's when he says later in Philippians 4, 19, My God shall supply all of your need, not your wants, all your need according to his riches and glory. Verse 19, For though I am, a free, I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant or a slave to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I may win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, and that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partakers of it with you. Verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run for one and, and only one receives the prize? The answer is yes. What do we call that place? First place. If you compete and you want anything other than first place, guess what you should do? Quit. Right? We always said second place is first loser growing up. That's all it means to us, right? Paul says, listen, that's the nature of human beings. We want to be first. If you don't believe it, go to Whiskey Road here in just a little bit and try to get out in the road first in front of someone, right? They want to be first. You want to be first. And if we're not careful, I told you I heard a wise man say, when you have a foolish person cut you off in traffic and you want to blow the horn, say something back in turn, you want to get angry, all you're doing is joining their club. Don't join their club. I've had to remind myself many times this week, don't join their club. Because I've wanted to be a member, and I told you, get a tattoo, because I wanted to join the club and use my vehicle as my vehicle of encouragement to them in the very wrong way. It's a sinful temptation that I, I've had. And, and I hear that man's word, don't join their club. And so I constantly now am telling myself, and if you ever hear me say it, if you're riding with me, I'm not joining the club. I'm not joining the club. I have to remind myself more than one time because of my nature. I have this nature of wanting to win. That's why I don't play any church sports. I hate church sports. Uh, not, not the adult versions, not the kids. Kids, we do outreach. But the adult sports, we have them. That's why I didn't play volleyball. That's why I don't play basketball. Because I will slide into second and I'll wear cleats when no one knows I'm wearing them. I will try to spike someone. I will, I will steal base trying to. I'll do anything that I can. I'll foul. I'll get all five of my fouls in basketball because I can't keep up anymore. So just it's easy to foul and stop play. That way I can suck wind, right? It just, just my nature, I want to win, and, and, and my brain still says I can do things, and my body later says, mm. all right, thumbs down to that. Let's continue. Watch. This is what Paul is saying. Listen, I don't want to be disqualified, but everybody who runs, they run for first place. Verse 25, and everyone who competes for the prize, it, it's a temperate in all things. They, they're, they're, they're modern in these things. They do it to abstain a perishable crown, that, that leafy crown they would wear as Olympians or before the Olympics. But we, for an imperishable crown, we're running for something different. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, not shadow boxing, that's what he's, he's not practicing, he's actually making, laying blows. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached with others, I might not, I might, should not be, become disqualified. And let me go over to your notes really quick today because very important for us to understand this. Paul faced opposition after being called by God as an apostle. Would you agree with that statement? Because he was a Pharisee. He, he, he was actually, he, he, the Sanhedrin gave him handwritten notes to go and arrest and persecute the church of God. The religious and 
non-religious society opposed him while he ministered in his lifetime, and some still oppose him today. Do you know there's people who says Paul was a male chauvinist? Paul was a racist. Even today in our culture in the 21st century, people like to blaspheme and trash the name of Jesus Christ through the avenue of Paul, St. Paul. Did y'all know that? It still happens. You get the theologians, they'll stroke their beards or their minds, and they'll philosophize about Paul that he was all, always, especially women who now call themselves pastor and bishops and elders and apostles, uh, they hate the Apostle Paul because he's going to tell us a little bit later in 1 Corinthians, hey, women should keep quiet in the church. First Timothy is going to say, women should be quiet. Don't teach men in the church. You say, well, I don't agree with that. If it wasn't for women, and the Chinese just come out, the Chinese, American Chinese Southern Baptist come out and said, Southern Baptist Convention said, if the title of pastor has been reserved for man, because he must be, he must be, he must be. And the Chinese just come out and said, well, we didn't have a word for pastors, so therefore we call women pastors, but it doesn't mean they have authority over men. We just call them pastors. So we're going to face this June is like, okay, we said, the title pastor is just for men. Because we said what God said. By the way, if you want to look at uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses all the way through, it says a deacon and a pastor must be a man. It gives other qualifications as well, but he must be. Well, the Chinese American Christians, Southern Baptist Convention now said, uh, there's another group within us, said we just use that title, and if it wasn't for women, the church of the Chinese church would have closed. Have you heard that so many times? Women do tons of work in the church amen it's true our nursery is run by women there's so many things that women do in the church but leading pastoring is not one of those jobs that god has ordained he'll go back later and say christ is the head of man man is the head of woman and then he'll go through and explain that that actually we would have an understanding of how god functions do we have to like it not in the 21st century do we because you can almost, ladies, you can feel your hair coming on, on the back of your neck. I see some of your hair standing up. You're like, you're not talking to me? Who da- how dare you speak to me? All I'm doing, and remember, every week that I offend you, I'm reading the Word of God. And next week, in a couple weeks, I'm going to offend you. But wives must be submissive to their own husbands. Let me just go and throw that out there, right? Not even in the 21st century, because God said so. It's God who makes the rules. By the way, it's God who made you. We don't have to like it. We just say, okay, Lord, I don't understand it, and man, I'm really going to adjust, right? I don't want to join the club. When it comes to Christ's club, I want to be all in. I want to do it his way. And if it means changing your personality and changing the way you do things, you must adjust to the word of God. He's never going to change his word. If we have the 22nd century, if we go into um, 22nd, uh, we're in the 21st now, we go to 22nd, if God tarries, his word's going to be the same. There's no new word coming from the kingdom of God. Amen? It is writ. All right, let's continue. Paul asked the church at least 19 rhetorical questions in order to provoke them to think. As a man thinketh, guess what the Bible says? So is he, and so is she. So if you want to think on the things of God, guess what you must put in your head and your heart? The word of God. And you will think on those things, and and God will bring it back to your remembrance, and you go, Wait a minute, I need to check my tongue. I need to check my personality. I need to check myself. He sought to honor God and set the record straight because there were men who were questioning his authority in the church. Who does he think he is telling us to kick this man out of our church who's having an inappropriate relationship? Who does he think he is telling us how to manage our money? Have y'all heard those questions before? I have as well. I heard them before I went into the ministry, and God knows I've heard them a lot since I've been in the ministry. Uh, Paul vindicated his faith, his call, and his official apostolic authority. 
He comes back and he references back Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. Go back and read it for yourself. That was Paul's calling. That's his salvation experience. And then that's his apostolic call as well from Jesus Christ himself. He had a personal invite from Jesus, if you will. Well, keep going on your notes. Paul countered those within the church at Corinth who questioned the validity of his apostleship. They challenged the apostle Paul. They never challenged him when he was there face to face. And I learned this a long time ago. Uh, my former pastor told me, he said, listen, all those lions, all the lions out there that are talking trash, when they come into the, your office, guess what they become? They become lambs. Because everybody says, I'll tell you what I do. They bow up. And when they come in and actually listen and understand that you're coming from a place to honor God, they got to meet the same standard. Do they not? Now, there's been people who's not met the standard here. And our staff knows there's been people who have died an early death because they disrespected God, they disrespected, and, and I'm going to say the man of God, I'm not going to shy away from it, that's the pastor, whatever church you're from, if you're a guest, the pastor is called an elder, and the Paul is very clear, you must respect the elders of the church, and we've lost respect for police, all the P's in our life, have we not? We've lost respect for the police, we've lost respect for principals, we've lost respect for parents, we've lost respect for pastors, get on the list, there's P's all over the place that we've lost respect for in our society. Have we not? Would you, would you agree? Yes or no? So we as Town Creek Baptist Church, we will continue to honor those who are require honor from the Word of God, and we'll continue to actually say what the Word of God says. And the office of pastor, if I retired tomorrow, sit there, a new man takes over, I will respect him as my pastor, and I will serve him as I serve unto the Lord. That's what the Bible says, submit to one another as unto the Lord. We have so many issues with this today, and if we would only get right with God, guess what would happen in our lives? The Prince of Peace would bring peace in your family. The Prince of Peace would bring peace in your life. Let's continue. Paul summarily cataloged his apostolic rights and privileges. I read those. He went through in verse 3. I'm going to give you an answer for my defense, he says. And he goes through and tells you all of his answers. Paul restated his purpose. He preached the hope of the gospel. That's his whole purpose. That's why he even said there's an office of apostle there's an apostle there's an office of pastor there's an office of deacon there's these offices that i'm telling you about so that we can actually flow in the church of god the way god wants us to do because even godhead the godhead says listen we know him how as father son and holy spirit god the father god the son god the holy spirit have you ever seen listen you'll see when we sing some of the songs we sing, Chris Tomlin changed it to uh, Awesome God, Father, Spirit, Son, because it rhymes with the next one, that he's one, right? But it's in order. God, the Godhead is in order. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Son submitted himself here on earth to the Father. That's why people say, aha. Muslims say, aha. See, he was his Son. He was not God. The Jews say, aha. See, he says he was the Son. He was not God. Why does he tell us that? Because he wants us to understand God has a relationship, and the only way for us to even get a glimpse of our relationship with God is to understand it in our relationships with our families. Everybody would understand that a father loves his son. Uh, but listen, if you truly, is God the son God? Dumb question. I know it's a rhetorical question. Is God the, fa is God the father God? Yes or no? Is God the son God? Are you telling me Jesus is God? Yes, he is. Is God the Holy Spirit God? Does that blow your mind? How did I make it through my whole life not understanding that Jesus is God? Our Jehovah Witness friends, they want to set him aside and call him, listen, they want to call him a created being. Uh, everyone, listen, you'll know the answer to your question when you say, what do you believe about Jesus? Oh, I believe he was a good man. Not good enough, right? Not a good enough answer. 
I believe he was a prophet of God. Our Muslim friends believe that he was, a, he was a prophet of God, that he did not lie. And when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, what did he say? Was he lying or was he the Lord? You can't have it both ways. You can't have a good moral teacher. You can't have just a prophet of God. You've got to have somebody who says, if they say, I and the Father are one, he's saying that he is God. That's the Jesus that Paul preached. That's the message of the hope of the message of the gospel. Paul was motivated to reach all people with the gospel with whatever appropriate means necessary. Appropriate's key right there because uh, churches today are trying to do anything they can to draw a crowd. We're darkening out lights. We're blacking it. We're smoking everything. We're lighting up smoke on the stage. We're dressing provocatively. We're doing whatever it takes to draw a crowd. And listen, as long as I'm pastor, listen, I'm not. I don't have a problem with black stages because I know. If you look online, that does, looks empty behind me. But what I am seriously saying, listen, we won't make this place like a bar room. Uh, th- those are days that, listen, far gone, that, listen, you darken the lights, you smoke up the place, you sing loud music, you blow it out, and so that actually people walk out and go, wasn't it good to be in God's house? It was fun today. It should be fun to be a Christian, but we don't submit to the world's standards and ways to reach, if you will, and we're not going to reach really anyone that way. We're going to have people that we draw a crowd. We can fill the place up multiple times a day. But as soon as you say you are a sinner and you need a Savior, it offends people. They want to run for the hills and that church, that place, they're legalistic. They're, they get in all these rules. And we do have the rules. And our love, this is our, this is our law today, the law of the love of God. Jesus Christ's law, what Paul says, it's the love of Jesus Christ. Paul challenged the church at Corinth to, be compl- uh, to compete. This challenge would cause the church to exercise the discipline necessary to grow spiritually and fulfill the will of God. The prize was and is today Christ-likeness. You can go back and read Philippians 3.14, 2 Timothy 4.7-8. You can read those. And Paul says, listen, this is the crown. This is the prize. He's constantly cheering on as he's preaching. Run, run, run. Be first place with Jesus. Be like Jesus in your life. And then what's going to happen is when you're like Jesus, guess whose blessings you receive? His, the Lord Jesus, the joint heir, Jesus Christ. We're getting to the end. Paul used his ministry as an example for others to follow. He believed upon Jesus and was saved. Was that true? Paul was saved. He was, he was redeemed, and we know he was right there. He was baptized. So that people say, don't use church words. I'm going to use the words that are in the Bible. Paul was saved. Paul was justified. Paul was sanctified. Paul was set apart. Listen, today Paul is glorified. He sees Jesus face to face. It's over for Paul. He ran his race, and now he's in heaven with the Lord. And by the way, was anybody saved today by any of the 13 epistles, the words in any of the 13 epistles from uh, Acts, from Romans uh, to, to any of the 1st and 2nd Corinthians or any of the 1 and 2s in the New Testament? Anyone give their heart and life to Jesus Christ through you must be born again when Jesus talked about it and then John gets that credit and then you are a sinner for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did anybody hear those verses and receive conviction at your core from the Holy Spirit and then give your heart and life to Jesus Christ? I'm one of those. And listen, let me tell you the truth. Paul gets credit for my salvation. Now, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, did it, right? But Paul was the one who penned it. He was obedient to the point of death that he would actually, not, not death on the cross like Jesus did, but death when he said, I've finished the race. Because he tells Timothy, my time's short and I've finished the race. Paul is now walking in his reward. And it's still growing all of these years later. Some 2,000 years later, Paul is still getting rewards in heaven based on every soul that comes to Christ 
through the, his work. It's amazing God's economy. Well, Paul used his ministry as an example to, for others to follow. He believed upon Jesus and was saved. He submitted his life to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He was a student of the Word of God. Paul referenced even here that oxen being muzzled, he referenced back to Deuteronomy 25.4. He goes back, he knew the Old Testament. And then he would bring the Old Testament to Revelation to the New Testament saying, this is what the Word of God said. Do you think God was talking about a cow, an oxen? The answer was he cared about him, but he was talking about us, the preachers of the gospel. He said, listen, he took a cow and compared it to a preacher. Some of us getting the size of a cow, but we can continue. That's what, this is what a lettuce and wheat diet does, I guess, right? Paul's missional lifestyle followed God's leading and, God, and honored God's call. He said, I've been called. I've been set apart, and I'm going to do it if it kills me. And by the way, it did. All right? Paul was martyred for the faith. We don't know exactly how Paul died. We preachers say he, he was beheaded, but we're not fully sure. We don't have a full record in the Bible how he died. We just know his time had come. And he had an evil, persecuting government during his lifetime. Finally, I want you to see these last two. Paul gave a biblical defense for his ministry. And preaching to others, he disciplined himself so as not to become disqualified. It wasn't just he was in the gym working out all the time. Paul was saying, listen, things I have a right to, I give up. Things that I, that I know I can do, I won't do because I don't want to hurt a younger believer. And I don't want to set anybody aside saying, listen, uh, he even said this. He went this, to this point, follow me as I follow Christ. Could you say that today? Could you tell somebody to watch you and say, do what I do because in doing everything that I do as best I know how, I'm following the leading of the Holy Spirit and I want to honor Jesus Christ in my life. I look around the room, and, and we know each other's lives, and I don't know everyone's life, obviously. But I, I can tell you there's some things that are conflict in our church. I can say with full assurance, everyone in this room is not living that life. I, I can look around the room and say, listen, there's things in people's lives that, listen, uh, if you would just do it the Jesus way that we sing today, you would fix the problems in your life. Your marriage would be healed. Your personal life would be healed. Your relationships at work would be healed. Your outlaws and in-laws will become one with you. Your relationships at church will become healed. Not fully restored because, listen, there's nothing. Once time has destroyed something, something's decayed, you can't necessarily go get it back. But it can be healed. Someone with cancer has it cut out. Guess what? It's forever cut out. I was showing someone, we were talking, Or and I were talking about a doctor that I didn't know was still in practice. I said, well, he sewed my hand up. I had this nice scar all the way down my hand when I was in high school. Open up air, air filters as fast as I could. I was competing to beat the other guy in the stock room, and I took a razor blade, box cutter, because I was good at it, and I went, and I cut right through my hand with razor, and my thumb just fell over like this. And that's cool. It's, it, we, scar, boys like scars. And we were talking about Dr. Tam and Tan. He, he fixed me way back then when I was a young man. I didn't know he was still in practice. And so I have a scar. Listen, look, look my thumb still works, just for the record. He fixed it. All right? But I have a scar saying there was once upon a time damage in my life right there. It was gross, right? And you have that scar, and sometimes it might not be physical. It might be emotional. But I want to tell you, listen, God can still bring about healing, and you'll have scars, but you, your thumb might work, and it might not work like it should, full, full, full throttle. But God can bring about healing if you do it God's way. How many times have I told you I'll say it a thousand before, and I'll say it a thousand again. Do it God's way. What do you get? God's results every single time. Every single time. You cannot not get God's results if you do it His way. 
And will God give you wisdom to do it his way? If you lack wisdom, what does James tell us? Ask of God believing. All right? Make sure you're believing because you just ask. That's not worth, as they say where I'm from, a hill of beans, even though beans are getting expensive these days, right? Just don't ask and throw it out there and say, God, if you will, if it's your will, I'll make it happen. James says, ask believing. And then believing, Paul comes back and says, you've got to put some work. You've got to put some shoe leather to the requirement. Because he talked about a farmer. Does it take a lot to plow? Has anyone ever plowed before? I've never plowed with a mule, even though we had the implements there on the farm. But how do you plow? If you ever ridden the John Deere tractor or Massey Ferguson, they have a little crawling thing on the hood. It's not just a hood ornament. Did y'all know that? What's it for? Does anybody know what it's for? Mr. Griffin's got one on his. I drove his tractor a lot. What's it for? You take that silver, that little crawling thing right on it. It looks like a hood ornament back in the, from the 50s. When you turn that tractor around, wherever you're going to plow, you put that point right on the tree or something in the distance, way down there, something not moving, right? And you put it on a tree or a post, and when you put that little crawling thing there, you stare at that tree way down there. It could be a football field away. When you get down, you have a perfectly furled road. Did you know that? You look down, you look at something. If you look back like this and see if you're plowing straight, the Bible says never look back. Why? Because you'll be crooked as a jaybird's leg, right? Right? It'll be crooked all the way down like that. You will plow crooked every single time. You ever seen beautiful farms or that were just plowed, those furrows look just absolutely perfect? It's because the farmer put his sight on something in the future. And what does God want you to do? It's principle from the scriptures. Work hard, look forward. In Jesus' name, do it God's way. Because I'm telling you, if you even, even if you cut grass, try it. If you cut grass with a push mower, don't even look at the grass and clean your yard first. Don't, don't throw rocks at the neighbor. But look, look down. If you look, you cut grass, look at your mailbox. Walk right to your mailbox, you'll cut a perfectly straight row as long as you're not hobbling. Whatever you do, listen, looking forward, right? And today as Christians and spiritually, we look forward in Jesus' name. Lord, I, can't, I know what the prize is. I'm, I, Lord, I want the prize to be Christ-like. I want to die and be like Paul and say, listen, here, well done, good and faithful servant that Jesus said. So when I, if I was plowing today straight, I'd go right for the middle of the media there. I'd look for something to lock, lock my eyes on. I do that every time I use a tractor, every time I cut grass, if I want it to look straight. If I want it quickly, I'll just do it in any direction. Try to line your wheel up with the next row, right? You can mess that thing up. Well, Paul gave a biblical defense for his, for his ministry. In preaching to others, he disciplined himself so as not to become disqualified. He talked about the athlete. What does an athlete do? If you're an Olympian, what are you doing today? Eating cheeseburgers and french fries? If you're going to be a triathlon, what are you doing? Munching on pizza every meal? No, you're eating stuff that you know that your body will burn. You want to put fuel in the system so that you can get lean and mean and make it go, right? In boot camp, you think they're feeding those guys donuts every single day in boot camp? Absolutely not. They're, they're, they're feeding you very little when we were in, right? They want you to be ready for the mission. And guess what Paul's saying? He uses the farmer. He uses the athlete. He uses the soldier. He wants you to be ready for the mission so that you might bring honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, last one, while we are not apostles, we are Christians who are led by the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Word of God, called to live a self-disciplined, holy lives, and to make disciples of the nations through the sharing of the gospel. That's what our job is. That's what our responsibility is today. You say, well, that sounds like a big task. Could you imagine being from that little small part of Israel and God tells you to go change the world? They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have buses or trains. 
they didn't even have any money. They were fishermen. All they knew in their life was fishing for men. He said, I will make you fishers. I'm fishing for fish. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. Go to the nations. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them everything I've taught you. Remember, I'm with you how long? Always till how long? To the end of the age, meaning to you see me. Your assignment is as good as gold with me because I'm with you. It's the same as if you're doing the mission, so is God right along with you. And when you go do his mission, he calls you to do it. He's right there with you, never to leave you nor forsake you. Now, I said a funny thing about one of my friends that came to Christ last week. Been looking for a guy for a long time since the military days, from the Navy days. Couldn't find him for any reason at all. Uh, under, I couldn't find a search. Nothing would bring him up. Last night, he texted me on, on Facebook and said, Hey, Clint, is this you? I'm like, Are you kidding me? I just t- used you in a sermon last week. And uh, he somehow got connected with me today, and we're going to reconnect. And he lives, he's from New York, Long Island, New York. And he lives in my hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina. Isn't that crazy? So I'm going to be going up and visiting him this, this coming week, hopefully. So that, you never know what God's going to do, how he rekindles fires and connects people, because he wants his mission fulfilled. It took 30 years for us not to talk, and he's in the ministry as well today, to see what's happening and what God's going to put back together. He's from Puerto Rico. He speaks uh, fluent Spanish, so I don't speak any Spanish. He speaks good English as well. Uh, uh, is that right, good English? He speaks English as well. So, uh, But uh, he can do things that I can't do, and it's amazing God put the two of us just together last night. Wendy talked with him when we were on speakerphone. I was like, man, how long have I been looking for your name? And so he has a DR in front of his name, so I told him I, I didn't look for doctor, uh, so I, I gave him a little hard time. So He asked me if I still did the pterodactyl sound you had to be there to know that so y'all let's pray together we have a responsibility we have a mission ahead of us you can plow straight be the farmer who says i'm gonna put my eyes on the prize be the runner who says i'm gonna put my eyes on the prize be the farmer but listen be the be the soldier whomever it might be put your eyes on the prize and that prize today here now is to be christ-like Whatever it takes, Lord, what do I need to cut out, what do I need to bring together, what do I need to do to work towards that prize? And then one day, seeing Jesus face to face, and he'll say this, well done, good and faithful servant. And I've told you before, and I'll say it again, you cannot and you will not hear well done if you haven't done well. Just don't, don't expect it. Don't even claim the promise. But you must work and say, Lord, Christ's likeness is my prize. I want to be like Jesus. And how do you start that? If you're lost today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've got to start with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Ask him, invite him. If he's, if he's triggering your heart and say yes to him, you say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior? Would you change my life? I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you, God, raised him from the dead. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be what? Saved. And it says in verse 13, Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what Paul was. That's what I have experienced and many of you have experienced. But maybe somebody's here today, but someone's watching my computer today. They've never experienced that. There is but one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father God, today, as we're in your presence, knowing, Lord, it's time for us to to make decisions those that are lost, Lord, we pray for their salvation. They've never given their heart and life to Jesus Christ. Lord, we do humbly and earnestly pray today it would be the day of salvation. Those that are, have given their life to Christ, but Lord, they've been 
playing as it will pickleball with Jesus. They've been back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and saying, one day I'll get committed. Lord, challenge their hearts that they would hear this word of God that Paul preached from an apostolic point of view, but also from a daily for the Christian to live and share in their faith. Father, for those that are like on fire for Jesus, Lord, I would encourage you uh, to encourage us, Lord. I know that you will. Don't even have to ask, but Lord, I ask in faith that you'd keep their flames burning. Lord, keep adding fuel to their fire. We know the fuel comes through the moving of the Holy Spirit and the strong word of God. Lord, let us love you and honor you that we can all hear that one day. Well done, good and faithful servant. We have a job to do. We have responsibility to do. Help us to do it, Lord, because you've given us that assignment. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, you say there's a job for every one of us to do. Let us get our own house in order, Lord, and then bless you in your house and to the nations. In Jesus' name we pray for his sake. Amen and amen.